Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 264. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by one of the marvelous members of the Blueprint Live Online team, talking today with Pooja, continuing our breakdown of the Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic ChemPhys Passage 3 we are covering today. If you want access to this half-length diagnostic for free, as well as full-length one from Blueprint MCAT, as well as an amazing study planner tool, and, but wait, there's more, and their amazing brand new space repetition flashcard platform with over 1,600 expertly created flashcards. Go to blueprintmcat.com today to sign up for that free account. Pooja, welcome to the MCAT podcast. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, I think we've chatted once before for something else, uh, but now diving into um, into the MCAT diagnostic from, from Blueprint. When it comes to the MCAT for you, what is your top strategy for helping students realize mistakes they're making with the MCAT? Yeah, I think it's a really good question, especially to ask yourself in the very beginning. And so my biggest piece of advice for students is as soon as you get started, don't just assume you have to go through everything with the same amount of dedication to each and every single topic, right? You have your own strengths and weaknesses from your own science background, from your classes, et cetera. And so you want to make sure that you're dedicating time proportional to how much you actually need to know the information, as well as how weak you are in that material, yeah. right? So like physics, a lot of people are really weak in it. But you don't actually have to know a ton of physics compared to psych soch, for example, which is probably, in my opinion, one of the most neglected topics because everyone's like, oh, it's easy. But like, that's a quarter of your test, guys. Like, that's a lot of material to just shave off to the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think spending time proportionally would be my biggest advice. Okay. So uh, proportionally to what the test is, right? Not proportionally to maybe your weaknesses or your strengths or whatever. Right. Yeah, got exactly. it. Got it. All right. Well, uh, with that, let's go ahead and continue our fun uh, progression of the MCAT diagnostic from Blueprint, starting with passage three. Why don't you start there? Beta-lactam antibiotics like penicillin are derived from fungi, which use the molecules to defend against environmentally borne diseases. Once discovered, these antimicrobial agents were quickly employed by physicians to treat pathogens which invade humans. These molecules are typically formed by an intramolecular attack 
with an amino acid and secondary reactions between amino acids. The lactam designation refers to the cyclic amide ring found in the molecule. Penicillin-like drugs are analogs of amino acid residues located on bacterial cell walls. The structural similarity between beta-lactam antibiotics and these residues facilitates their binding to the active site in the machinery required to build the peptidoglycan wall. All right. So when you're reading a, a paragraph like this, what do you typically like to do? How do you teach students to work through these? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest things to point out here is in a lot of chem biz passages, they'll throw in a lot of bio biochem relevant uh, passages. So it's going to be really tempting to spend a lot of attention to the antimicrobial agents or the potential immune function. But because we're in the chem phys section, you want to make sure you're looking at this passage through a chem phys lens. So you want to highlight the things that are MCAT relevant for the chem phys section, right? So paying attention to the specific terms that are being introduced, like beta-lactam antibiotics is helpful, but also highlighting those terms like intramolecular attack, structural similarity, and amino acid is going to be really important there. Yeah. Um, so you get through this first one. We are left with uh, this little figure one. Do you pay any attention to figures as you're going through, or you just wait to see if there's a question that asks about a figure? I like to recognize or sort of like mental map or flag what that figure is. So I would see the figure, I look at that little caption that they have and be like, all right, cool, this is penicillin, and then move on from there. I yeah. think spending a lot of time trying to dive into what's particularly present isn't a good use of your time, because first of all, you don't even know if the MCAT's going to ask about it. And mm -hmm. second of all, you don't know what specific components of a figure is going to be asked about. So it's not really worth your time to do that in your initial read. Okay. Um, all right, so let's move on to, to passage or paragraph two here. All right. These beta-lactam molecules are particularly reactive due in part to significant ring strain. Nearby nucleophiles can be isolated by the ring, allowing the ring to open. The antimicrobial efficacy of penicillin lies in its ability to isolate serine residues on enzymes that bacteria require for normal cell wall production. During the isolation of serine, the amide on penicillin is converted to an ester. This causes binding and locking of the molecules, which prevents serine from activating the cell wall, synthesizing enzymes. An intact cell wall is necessary for bacteria to stay alive. All right, and then we're led to another uh, figure there. Anything big in this second paragraph that you're like, uh-oh, let's, let's highlight that. Well, for the second paragraph, again, we get some more information about the general like molecule in. Uh, present, right? So there's, there's a lot of mumbo jumbo, yep. but we want to stay rooted in those MCAT hot topics. So I would probably pay attention to reactive due to significant ring strain, because understanding the relationship of reactivity and how general compounds work in terms mm -hmm. of reactions is MCAT relevant. Um, I would also pay a lot of attention to the idea that there is like that isolation of serine residues and that we're converting an amide to an ester. So highlighting something to encapsulate that would be really important. Okay. Um, I think another thing that's worth mentioning here is that even if you're not 100% sure what an isolation reaction is, that's okay. 
there's going to be a lot of material that shows up on passages that you're not going to be intimately familiar with. And that's half of the battle. I feel like, I don't know, Ryan, if you agree with this, but I feel like the MCAT is half actually testing the MCAT and then half psychological. Like, yeah. can you be okay with not knowing half of the material that's that's like thrown yeah. at you? A, a right. thousand percent. I, I think there's so much fear around, oh my gosh, I don't know that. Oh my gosh, I don't know this. And and that just takes up so much bandwidth in your brain that you're just ignoring everything you're reading because you're like three sentences in the past that you didn't know one single word. And it this comes up a ton in the car section for ESL students. They get so caught up, students in general, especially ESL students, with uh, a, a definition they don't know from a word or an, an idiom maybe that they don't know in their natural language, uh, their natural tongue that they're just like, I don't know what that means. Skip it, right? Realize that you don't know it and skip it. And and you may not need to know it at all or context in the question or answers may help lead you to the answer that you need to get. So there, there's so much focus on, I need to understand 100% of everything or else I'm not going to do all in the MCAT. And and the one thing I love about doing uh, these walkthroughs of the Blueprint MCAT exams with me trying to answer them, right? I'm playing the student here. I haven't seen this material in, in decades, literal <laughs> decades. Um, and I still do relatively well, right? I'm probably not sc- scoring a 520, uh, but I- I'm probably close to a 500 with just some basic like deductive reasoning. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think it's a really good point too, because here's the thing about like the MCAT, I'm sure you tell people this all the time, but the MCAT writers, they know what we know, right? They know what is in the bandwidth of test takers to know and understand. They tell us what to know, right? It's not like it's a secret. (laughs) Yeah, they literally give us a list. And so if something isn't on that list, right, you don't need to freak out about it. You don't need to spend a ton of time thinking about whether or not something's going to be tested on the MCAT or not. And if it shows up, you can be like, all right, this is, I'm going to have to rely strictly on what the passage says, but not really go far beyond that. So for that isolation reaction, you can know, all right, if I don't 100% know what that is, it's fine. I just know that it converts an amide to an ester and that's it. That's all. That's all you got to know. All right. So then we get to uh, this lovely first question here, which I'll jump into. As the nucleophilic site is serine, oh, at which, at which nucleophilic site is serine most likely to be isolated by penicillin? So we have answer choice A, side chain uh, OH, uh, carbonyl carbon, carbonyl OH, or alpha carbon. So here's where I really struggle as someone who, again, hasn't had this material in forever, uh, are these super specific especially stupid amino acid questions like, okay, you obviously need to know like, what's the, my assumption here, right? Again, just using some deduction is to answer this question. I need to know what the structure of serine looks like, right? What, what side chain is hanging off of it and what is going to be attractive to that side chain potentially to be able to answer this question. And of course, again, it's been a while since I've done this stuff, so I don't remember. But that's how I would potentially try to answer it uh, if I remembered that. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, I think so. And I think I want to also draw your attention to figure two to see maybe if that'll give you a little bit more information. Because again, if you don't know something, if you don't remember something in particular, the figures or something in the passage may help you. Mm-hmm. So I would sort of push you in that direction. Yeah. 
So uh, this is the structure of penicillin, right? So it's like, okay, at which nucleophilic site is serine most likely to be isolated by penicillin? So again, trying to look at this and go, okay, what's what's hanging off here that wants to like give away some stuff or whatever? Um, and and I, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I would actually draw your attention to figure two because make figure mm-hmm. two shows you the molecular oh. structure of the amino acid serine. Yeah, they're serine. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so the thing is, what's important to know for MCAT test takers, people who are looking at this material right now, you can't rely on the MCAT giving you the structure of amino acid serine because yep. that's relevant information that you probably need to know for testing. But because it's been given to you, you have a little bit more help from the passage in terms of figuring out where on serine do you think there's going to be isolation happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So is this pretty straightforward answer? How, how do we get to the answer here? Yeah. So one of the big I like to do whenever I look at questions is translate it into an actionable task. So for me, this question turns into, all right, which of these different components is going to be nucleophilic? Right. And so nucleophiles are defined as electron rich species. So we just need to pick an answer that best reflects the part of serine that is electron rich. And so in that light, we can actually eliminate B and D because carbons aren't really electron rich. They can't be our nucleophiles. Mm -hmm. And so the difference between A and C, because again, they're both talking about OHs. Right. So you need to distinguish the key difference between A and C. And the difference there is that C has a carbonyl near it, whereas A is just by itself. And to determine which one is the answer, you can, instead of trying to think about the reaction that would happen, you could think about what nucleophiles do in general, right? Do you remember anything about what nucleophiles do? No, no, I do not. No. (laughs) (laughs) I could could quickly Google it, but uh, yeah, no, I can't do that on the real test, so I won't do it here. The big rule to know about nucleophiles is that nucleophiles attack electrophiles, right? And so for something to be better at attacking and to order to be a better nucleophile, it's probably going to have to be something that isn't very hindered, right? Something that can fit in a lot of spaces and do that attacking without much like stuff in the way. Yep. So between A and C, A is going to be our answer because that carbonyl is going to get in the way. Mm. It's likely to stay as our answer. Yeah. And just looking right again, just just looking at the structure, you go like, hey, this thing's just just dangling out here. This this OH is just dangling out here. It has more freedom to stick its head in wherever it wants to go. So I like that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So answer choice A, piece of cake. That's what I would have guessed. <laughs> yeah, amazing. amazing. <laughs> All right. Go ahead and read 15 and I'll try to answer it. All right. Question 15. Early research into the mechanism of antibiotics theorized that it was implausible that the amide and penicillin would convert to an ester. Which of the following explains this doubt? Answer choice A, amides possess better leaving groups than esters. B, esters possesses poorer leaving groups than amides. C, amides are less reactive than esters. Or D, serine contains no good nucleophiles. Okay. So... Uh, I think, um, answer choice, let me look at 14, uh, potentially like the whole nucleophile thing is what we just talked about in the last question. So I may throw out answer choice D maybe just cause it's like, well, maybe we were talking about nucleophilic sites and Siri in the last question. So I'm gonna throw out D just to, 
just because it sounds too familiar to the last question. Yeah, um, really. Early research. So that amide in penicillin would convert to an ester, right? So just knowing uh, biology and chemistry, like things like to stay um, kind of stable and not take a lot of energy to convert if things are going to be wacko. Um, so if I look at less reactive, amides are less reactive than esters. Uh, that maybe sounds true, but is that the answer? I don't know if something's less reactive than an ester, like does it convert to an ester and then just converts right back to an amide if that's what it's saying? I, I don't know. Uh, again, just trying to, to think through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, answer choices A and B are basically um, uh, the same answer. Right? Yeah. Amides possess better. Esters possess poorer. I mean, that's the same answer. So yeah. I'm going to leave A and B out of it altogether and just go with C. Yes. And you are, first of all, totally right, right on the money there. And I think what you exemplified there is really cool in that even if you don't know the right reason as to why C is correct, if you know explicitly why A, B, and D are wrong, that's enough to get you to where you need to go, right? The MCAT doesn't really require you to write in a written explanation. So you don't need to always have (laughs) direct reason as to why an answer choice is correct. Because I think one of the things I like to tell my students all the time is that there's two ways to get to an answer. You can get the right answer or you can eliminate all of the wrong answers, right? And so which one you decide to lean on more is dependent on what you know and how to get and how you can get to that question. So you're totally right on C. And for those of you who are curious, answer choice C is also correct because of the idea of reactivities, right? In terms of our um, carboxylic acid derivatives, the big thing to know about them is their relative reactivity. So you can either memorize the order, which is acyl halides, anhydrides, then esters, then amides, and know that you're going to go from more reactive to less reactive and not the other way around. Or you can think about the leaving groups that are there and know that you're not going to move from a bad leaving group to a good one, right? Mm-hmm. So amides has one of the worst leaving groups, while acyl halides has one of the best leaving groups. And so that sort of explains that memorization of reactivity that you would need to do for that one. All right. So I got it right. Don't yes, know, you did. You it. Don't know anything about it. But again, that's just showing the power of just not freaking out. And obviously it's easier because we're not timed here, but being able to to kind of utilize just deduction, right? Sherlock Holmes deduction um, yeah. going through this. All right. Question 16. Which of the following must be true if the penicillin serine reaction, quote, locks in the ester formation as described in the passage? A, the thermodynamic cost of breaking the penicillin serine ester is larger than the thermodynamic release of amide formation. B, the thermodynamic release of forming an amide is equal to the thermodynamic cost of forming an ester. C, the thermodynamic cost of breaking the penicillin serine ester is smaller than the thermodynamic release of amide formation. And D, the thermodynamic release of forming the penicillin cyclic amide is larger than the thermodynamic release of breaking the penicillin serine ester. 
All right. So long answer choices, which again, freak students out. I'm like, ah, I have to reread those. I have to clarify. I have to figure out what's going on. So this actually goes <clears throat> towards a little bit of what I was talking about with the last question in terms of energy related to doing things, right? Of yeah. of that, uh, this previous question of... Um, if it's implausible, are they saying, ooh, maybe there's just too much energy release or not enough or whatever to get there? Um, and so this question is jumping forward to potentially starting to think about that. So, so how these work? So just trying to figure out how they work. Um, so penicillin, acetate serine structures, or residues on enzymes. The amide on penicillin is converted to an ester. All right. So the amide is there. It converts to an ester. So just reiterating that in my head. So the cost of breaking the penicillin serine ester is larger than the release of the amide formation. So this, I think, sounds true because um oh wait no that's opposite of i think what i want it's larger because then it would be easier potentially to go back maybe i think that's what i'm reading all right so the thermodynamic release of forming an amide is equal so things are equal then they bounce back and forth potentially so i don't like that answer <clears throat> so i'm gonna strike that one out the thermodynamic cost of breaking the ester is smaller than the release of the amide formation, which is breaking the ester, breaking the ester. So these ones are opposite. So I like A or C, potentially the thermodynamic release forming a pen. So this one's completely off in terms of just the the language and everything that it's talking about. So without even looking at D, I'm going to cross it off because A and C are exactly opposite. So I think it may be one of these. So now I'm hopefully down to 50-50. And again, if the energy to create is smaller than the energy to go back, then to me, that signal's locked. So the cost of breaking the penicillin serine ester is smaller. So we don't like that one. So I like A. Yes, that was exactly <laughs> right. That was totally it. That was beautiful. I couldn't have explained it better myself. And I think your thought process really exemplifies this general thermodynamic principle of what's favorable, mm -hmm. which is this idea of minimizing cost and maximizing gain, right? That's what's favorable. That's what we like. It's economics. Yeah, it's basic econ, <laughs> right? Like yeah. minimize cost, maximize gain. And so I love the fact that you were able to use that for that question because that's really the example there. And I think the other rule of if you're stuck between two answer choices and you really like the big thing to do is look at the difference between the two of them, yeah. right? And if you have no idea where to go, go to the things that are the opposite. It's yeah. not going to be something that I encourage every single time because there are situations where there are opposites, but those opposites aren't related. Um, but if you have no clue, like if you go to a question, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on here. Stick to the two that are the opposite and yeah. then go from there. Yeah. Ooh, you killed it. Same. Great. Two out of three. Oh, All yeah. right. <laughs> 17, go ahead. 
<laughs> All right, question 17. Which functional group is not found on penis penicillin? A, amide, B, amine, C, carboxylic acid, and D, thioether. I feel bad because your question that you had to read was so much longer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. Um, so here's where, again, my this this goes to you know it or you don't know it for the most part. Uh, and so, again, because I'm so far removed from these types of definitions, I'm like, ah, I don't know. All right, we've been talking about amide groups and um, penicillin, I think, potentially, or were we talking about, yeah, so it says specifically, right, there's amide on penicillin. So answer choice A is is out. All right, so I'm assuming <laughs> that that's, that's out. So now hopefully I'm down to three potential choices. Uh, I have no idea what that means. Uh, carboxylic group, I think is something over here, what that looks like. So I'm going to cross out C. And then thioether. Um, I always, like with sulfurs and, and nitrogens, like there's always funky names for it. Um, but I don't like thioether. I forget. I'm going to choose D just because I don't like that word. And, and I hope that's right. Oh, you were so close. <laughs> oh, so darn it. The thioether is that part of the compound that has the sulfur in it. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, like an ether is just an oxygen that's between two carbons. So the sulfur is a thioether because it's the same thing, but with sulfur instead of oxygen. So, uh, you know what? So so here's, here's where um, I ran into the same problem I ran into with the first question. I was looking at figure two and not figure one. If I would have seen that sulfur group in Figure One, then I would would have gone with the other the other way. So oh, no way. Okay, so that's a really good learning opportunity, though. Like being yeah. able to recognize where in the passage you have to go is going to be critically, critically important. So I think in general, when you answer questions, the best things that I like to do is translate the question if it's confusing, yeah. and go figure out where in the passage I need to go and. Being able to figure out where in the passage you need to go is very reliant on your ability to have an effective read the first time. And that effective read doesn't mean you understand everything and anything that's included in a passage. It's that you understand what key hot topics are showing up and where you can go in the passage if certain things are being asked about, right? Mm -hmm. So able to map for yourself, like, all right, figure one is penicillin, figure two is serine. That's enough to help you differentiate and potentially prevent you from making that mistake that you did. Yeah. Just um, taking that extra second there. Yeah, absolutely. But honestly, you did a pretty good job at eliminating A and C because you're totally right. Even given the context of the passage, it doesn't make sense for an amide to not be present. Yep. And Carboxylic acids literally showed up. Amino acids, like that's one of the biggest structures within an amino acid. Um, so it's good to eliminate that as well. An imine is like this weird double bond with a nitrogen. So for anyone mm -hmm. who's listening, that's what an imine is. It isn't super high yield in terms of things to know, but be vaguely familiar with it so that you can recognize it if it shows up as a wrong answer choice. Okay. All right. And last question here. On the penicillin heteroatom ring, what is the absolute configuration of the carbon labeled one? All right, so penicillin, figure one, not figure two. Uh, the penicillin heteroatom ring, 
the carbon labeled one is this one that's also uh, attached to nitrogen and has this whatever group hanging off the side, uh, the COOH here. So the absolute configuration plus minus S or R. And I don't remember what configuration, um, the absolute configuration, I don't, I don't remember what that refers to. Yeah, so I think the absolute configuration is, do you remember like the RS configuration? Is that familiar to you? No. <laughs> so the absolute configuration of a compound is more so referring to the orientation of different substituents in space, mm. right? Whether it's like, if I have a carbon with four things attached to it, where are those things in relationship to each other? Yep. And it's called absolute because no matter how you rotate the specific mm. compound in question, like that's not going to change, right? Because the relationships with each other, like that, you can't change that unless you're literally breaking a bond. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's the key thing there. Um, one thing I will say is because I mentioned R and S, right? Which two answers do you think we can eliminate based on the fact that absolute configuration can only be R or S? Uh, A and B. Yeah, absolutely. So you can eliminate that, right? A and B, that plus or minus is more so referring to optical activity. And you can only really measure that in a lab. So like not really relevant for us here. So even if you don't have the time to go through each of the steps that you need to do to figure out the absolute configuration, you can still like flag it, pick a letter between C and D and come back to it if you have time. Yeah. Because I'll tell you right now, Ryan, the steps to figuring this out can be very time intensive. For mm. me personally, orgo was not my strong point. So I always took my sweet time when I had <laughs> questions like this. Yeah. So I would always flag them and come back. To it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. Orgo was one of my favorite classes. I, I even really? took I took an accelerated bioorganic chemistry. It was it was two semesters instead of three. Wow. Orgo one, orgo two, biochem. I took it all in two semesters because the professor was amazing. And there was just something like that clicked, right? Of just seeing, I'm very visual. I, I can like see the structures. Um, even I, I love talking about, I wish I, I want to relearn them. Um, like NMR spectroscopy. Like mm. I could do those in like 10 seconds. There was just something about seeing the spikes going oh i know what that is <laughs> like just drawing it out um i don't i don't know why that was like i was a savant with that i struggled with a lot of other things but anyway uh but i don't remember snr that's crazy though honestly you're like a unicorn in terms <laughs> of the pre community because i know a lot more people who are you know not a huge fan and have struggles with the visualization piece and yeah so the way there's two with that there's two ways you can really do this question which is you can visualize what's going on and reorient it in space, mm -hmm. or you can do what I like to do, which is literally just go by what is drawn and use that to determine what the answer is. Yeah. So if I were to teach it to you, Ryan, I'd probably explain the whole like orienting it in space, but for everyone else, for the majority of people who want to um, do this type of question, there are a couple of steps that you need to do to understand the chiral designation, right? So the first thing you need to do is identify the four substituents that are bonded to that carbon. So in this case, we have a nitrogen, we have a carboxylic acid, we have a carbon that's bonded to a sulfur and a carbon that's bonded to two other carbons. And then we also lastly 
have our hydrogen, right? Remember, the hydrogens haven't been drawn in, but in orgo, you don't have to draw in a hydrogen bond with a carbon, right? The only reason why people don't do that normally is because if you do, then the drawings will just become crazy because they'll have too much stuff involved. So yeah. remember that if hydrogen hasn't been drawn in, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not there, right? So in this case, those are our four substituents. The second step is to identify the priorities to those substituents and assign them. And the assignment goes in relationship to atomic number. So the higher the atomic number, the higher the priority. So um, Ryan, if you don't mind me asking you this question, totally okay if you don't know the answer. Um, based on the four substituents that we have here, do you yeah. know which one is gonna be the highest or the lowest priority? Uh, uh, nitrogen's very special, so I'm gonna say that's the highest priority. Mm -hmm. It is. I'm totally right. So, <laughs> so which one is, of these is not like the other? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So nitrogen is going to be our highest priority because of its atomic number. And hydrogen is going to be our lowest because of its atomic number. Now, it gets a little tricky in situations where you have two carbons because yep. you actually, at that point, need to go one bond away and compare to what's going on there. Yep. So with one of our carbons, it's bonded to a sulfur, while our other carbon is only bonded to two other carbons, right? So we need to look at the one that is bonded to the sulfur as, as our like carbon of choice, right? That's going to be the one that we need to look at. Okay. So um, yeah, that's going to be uh, number two. And then the carbon on our dash, right, is going to be priority group number three. So that's going to be the one bonded to our different oxygens there. Yep. Okay. So in terms of our order, we have one, two, and three. And from there, you just need to count from one to two to three and determine the direction you move in, whether it's mm. clockwise or counterclockwise. So you can imagine yourself drawing like a little arrow or moving your finger along that direction. Yeah. So, so I'm seeing case, clockwise. Yes, exactly. But here's the killer. We're not done. And the <laughs> main reason why we're not done is because our hydrogen, since it's not on a dash, right? We mm -hmm. hear carboxylic acid group, that's what's on our dash, that's what's behind us. Our hydrogen is actually facing towards us. So because of that, we need to reverse the configuration that we've assigned. No. So, I know, I know, killer. So normally, clockwise is R, right? Clock, the mnemonic for it is clockwise is the right way to go for a clock. So if mm -hmm. you're going clockwise, it's the R configuration. But because we flipped it, because the MCAT's mean, I guess, um, <laughs> It's going to be yes, and that'll be our answer. All right. Is that so time intensive? That is way too time intensive, and so I would have chosen C and moved on, and I would have gotten right. <laughs> I would have gotten <laughs> right. Never right. It, yeah. The uh, the trustee just choose C and move on. Yeah, it's these types of questions are really hard to do because they take so much time, and yeah. like unless you're a savant with visualizing it, <laughs> you're going to have to go through each of those steps. So if it were me on test day, I would have eliminated A and B, picked a letter, flagged it, and then come back to it by a time. Yeah. Ooh, all right. So again, I hope that um, going through these, right, a couple of them I was just able to get to because I just read and looked and deduced and guessed sometimes. Uh, but a lot of the guessing was was gone down to like removing 50% of the answer choices. And so just again, reiterating the MCAT doesn't have to be as scary as you're making it out to be. 
just read, learn how to kind of deduce and and uh, get wrong answers out of the way to hopefully help increase your chances of picking the right ones. Amazing. All right, so there you have it. Diagnostic passage three from ChemFizz from Blueprint MCAT. Again, go to blueprintmcat.com to get access to this diagnostic and the full length one, which we've also covered here on the podcast to help get you going. Remember, practice questions are key to doing well on the MCAT. Repeat after me. Practice questions are key to doing well on the MCAT. Training your butt to sit for eight hours is key to doing well on the MCAT. We have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT podcast. This is MedEd Media.